Thank you, brother. Please find your way in God's precious word. John chapter 2, verse 13. What do you say, Pastor Ryan? We overpromise and un no. Un what's how's it go? Under promise, over deliver. This sermon's an hour long. <laughs> you won't be disappointed if it's only 45 minutes then. Everybody give it that? Amen. So the purpose of man is what? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Amen. And in order to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, we must know him and we must know about him. And the only way to know about God is to know his word that he has given us. The Bible that we hold in our hands is a precious collection of God's word. It is our guide in life and death. Second Timothy tells us in 316, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, may be complete, <laughs> equipped for every good work. And that's why we study God's word. That's why we hide God's word in our heart. It's that, you know, and you know, when we do this, when we, when we put God's word in our heart, we are memorizing his word. You know, and the reason we do that is so we can call it up at any time. A lot of times we think of memorizing the scripture as a checkbox thing. Hey, I memorized that one. Hey, I know that. But there's more to it. Think about this. If you have God's word in your heart, no one or anything will ever be able to take it away. So if you came into my house and took out every Bible, took every Bible I have in my house, that's fine. They can do that, but they can never. They would never be able to take John three sixteen out of my heart. We hide God's word in our heart. We must know the word of God, and we must live it out. Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray before we dig in. Father, we thank you for your for this precious day. Lord, we thank you for your love and your that you have graciously poured out on us. We are changed because of your love and how you have loved us. So, Father, as we continue, as you continue to change us as we open up your word and study your word today, just bless us, guard our minds, and may we be focused completely on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, we made it to, made our way to verse 13 in chapter 2, and here John, he brings us to the temple, right? He gives us a picture of what happened, a picture of what the temple had become in that day. A place where the world was supposed to come and worship God had now been turned into a den of thieves. The temple was no longer a place of worship. It was, it was no longer a spiritual place. It had become just a, another building to many, as we will see. Now, to better understand the importance of this temple and what it had become, we have to look back at God's plan. You know, a few weeks ago, Pastor Jared talked, talked about uh, temple theology. And we're going to continue with that theme today as we see the reaction of Jesus when he entered into his father's house. And so if we go up and we take a, a helicopter view down on the word, if we look down at the words of God, we will be able to see that the quote temple, how the temple came about and its purpose. We can see the unfolding drama of God's intervention in our world. Remember what Jesus said in Mark 1.15. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
So the kingdom of God is the spiritual realm over which God reigns as king. It is the fulfillment on God's earth of God's will. Jesus is the kingdom of God, and he came to this earth. God intervened in this world. We get a picture of how it is partially fulfilled in the nation of Israel, but it is through Jesus Christ who fully fulfilled what the kingdom of God, fully fulfilled what the kingdom of God is. Jesus can say that the kingdom of God is at hand because he is the son of God. He is the fulfillment of God's plan. And on this side of the cross, we can, we can clearly see if we look back that Jesus is the true Adam. We can see that Jesus is the true Israel. We can see all the promises concerning God's place and people are fulfilled in Jesus. And today we're going to see that fulfillment in the temple. How did Jesus fulfill God's plan when it comes to the temple? So let's go back and take a look at God intervening in this world. Let's go back to Adam and Eve. We can see there that they enjoyed what? God's presence in the garden before the fall. And in that time, we kind of get a glimpse of the beauty of God's creation. It was amazing. It had to be amazing. It really can't be described with words that we have today as how beautiful it was. But there was one thing that made the garden so amazing and made it so incredible, and that was God's presence. God made his presence known in the garden, and that's why it was such an incredible place on this earth. Some say, some may say, uh, I would have loved to have been there. As a matter of fact, our hearts desire to be in such a place. That's the desire that God has put in our hearts. Good news. One day we will understand what that garden looked like and what it felt like. One day we will be in his presence and we will see him as see him in all his glory. We will see that new heaven and new earth that he has promised. Can't wait for that day. Amen. Amen. But until then, until then, we worship him. We worship him in this fallen world as he has commanded us. Nothing's perfect right now. Far from it. But one day it will be. So we see that God made his presence known in the garden. And then we see God made his presence among men. And, the, uh, and it's with the Israelites. The word says that God appeared to them in a cloud by day and a pillar, pillar of fire at night. God was with man and man was able to see the presence and power of God. And it wasn't long after that, that God made his presence in the tabernacle. We've seen that word before, right? We saw that in uh, John 1. Jesus came in what? He tabernacle with his people. Same language that is used back in Exodus. Remember what Pastor Jared said a few weeks ago. He said, now, well, now that we have the, the, the word of God, the complete salvation plan of God, we have to read the scriptures backwards in a sense. We go back. And then we can see, if we go back, we we're able to see how God had a plan from the beginning. We get, we we're able to see how God has fulfilled all the promises that he has made. We can see how all of the word is one story and complete in Christ. So we know from the New Testament that Jesus is the true tabernacle. And as we take that truth about Jesus and we go back, we look at the tabernacle that God instructed Moses to build. 
in Exodus 25, there we see God giving instructions to Moses. God tells Moses to prepare a place for the presence of God to rest, build a tabernacle. Exodus 25, 8 says this, it says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God's presence will dwell with man. He said, make this sanctuary exactly as I showed you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. Then we jump to Exodus 40, 33. It says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the, enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they would not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all of the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. That had to be an incredible sight. Again, one of those times where I don't think we can imagine what that was like to see the, the glory of the Lord filling the temple. There's no words to speak that would enable us to understand exactly how it was to, to see God's glory coming down and filling the temple. His presence was there. God put his tent among the people. Make note that what was just read back then, that it was not open to the people. It said that not even Moses could enter the tabernacle. So after reading about the tabernacle and how God put his tent among men and how his glory was seen by all, what do you think, what do you think would go through the mind of a first century Jew when they would read what John wrote about Jesus? That the word became flesh and what dwelt among us? He pitched his tent with man, and we have seen his glory, John says. Where would these words take a first century Jew? Right back to the tabernacle. They would be thinking about God's glory, filling that tabernacle. John said, we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from God, from, from the father, full of grace and truth. Those words would take a Jewish person right back to Exodus 40. God's glory descended on the tent. God's presence was with his people. Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. God reigns as king, and Jesus is the fulfillment of God's will. Jesus is the true temp temple, as we will see today. And that's a setup for our text today. So let's read. Let's go to the temple with John chapter 2, verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, they found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. They do, do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered what, that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. 
Listen, his disciples are pretty sharp. They had an ear to hear. They made note of Jesus fulfilling prophecy that day. They saw the actions of Jesus and they remembered the words they had hidden in their heart. They remembered what the scriptures had said about the Messiah. And they knew that he would have zeal for his house. Again, you see why it's so important to hide the word of God in our hearts. The disciples gave us a great example right here. His disciples remembered what was written. Verse 18. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. So Jesus comes in and he starts cleansing the temple. He has caused a big disruption in the Passover rituals. So what was going on that day? What was Jesus doing that day when he started cleansing that temple? He had been there. He had been in the temple many times in his life. He had seen what was going on in there. What was different that day? That day, Jesus was revealing his glory. He was showing and telling everyone that he has authority over the temple. No one understood that, that that was there, but Jesus was revealing to all that he is the true temple of God. Jesus established his authority on this earth that day when he said these things. He said, these things, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. He said, this is my father's house. Jesus is claiming to be God. Listen, you just don't go around cleansing other people's houses. Well, some people, they like to, hey, get that sin out of your house. You know, they like that. Some people do that. But they don't have authority in that home. It's not their house. But here we see that the temple was well under Jesus's jurisdiction. It was his father's house. He and the father are one. And Jesus was cleansing his house. When Jesus started cleansing, the disciples saw prophecy being fulfilled. But what kind of reaction did Jesus get from the Jews? What did the religious leaders see? Well, we know what they saw by by what, what they said and the way they approached Jesus. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? In other words, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove you have authority to do all of this here? They really didn't want a sign. Because they, they, they will see many signs, and he never believed that Jesus was who he claimed. So it wasn't about the sign. But remember how they approached Jesus at the beginning of his ministry? What did they say to him? Who do you think you are? It's basically what they said to him down by the river, and the same here in the temple. Who do you think you are? Sure, everyone's talking about you, they would say. We know who John, who John the Baptist said you are. We know about your baptism. We know what you did at the wedding. We know that you're a good teacher and you already have a motley crew beginning to follow you. 
but you're going to have a show us, you're going to, you are going to have to show us the credentials that you have the authority to do what you are doing here in this temple. We are the ones to have the authority in within these walls. Only us and God have authority inside these walls. We know you're not one of us, they would say, and you don't look like God. So you better show us some miraculous sign to prove you are from God. Show us a sign, they said. Now we have to pay close attention to the response Jesus gave them. I could tell you it was not what they expected. They were never prepared to hear Jesus' response to their so-called gotcha moments. You know, they try to trap them all the time. Didn't work. But could you imagine their shock? Jesus says, okay, I'll do something. I'll show you a sign. I'll do a miracle. Not a problem. But before I give you a sign, before I give you the sign you want, you will have to do something first. My sign will be, I will raise the temple in three days. That's my part. Destroy this temple. That's your part. You put it back on them. Don't you just love how Jesus handled all the attacks that came his way? I'll do a miracle, not a problem, but I'm going to bring you in on this. You do your part. I will do my part. And by doing so, I will show you by what authority I have to clear this temple of filth. A perfect response from a perfect Savior. We expect no less from Jesus. The Jews are now in a tough spot. How would they respond to this? The temple represents the place where they meet with God. The Jews loved the temple. They were not, they were not going to tear it down by no means. Side note here, too, the, the, the Jews, when John speaks of Jews, he's talking about the religious leaders. He's talking about the enemies of God. They loved the temple. They ran the temple. It was all about them in the temple. We can see that by the way they addressed Jesus. And for Jesus to say to them, if you will tear it down, to them, this is basically, you know, an ignorant statement. You know, tear this down? Why did they think that way? Because they were always thinking physical and never spiritual. Never spiritual like they should have. So what's their response to Jesus? The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. Now, this is not in any of the, the four gospels. This is in the, the Big Bob's gospels. I believe they said, you crazy? <laughs> raise this up in three days, really? You're gonna do that? But notice, they didn't even address how the temple could be torn down. They went right by that. The problem the Jewish leaders had was that they did not have an ear to hear. Blinded by selfishness and pride, they never asked the questions they should have. Maybe if they were thinking physical, maybe a simple inquiry like, well, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Because surely you're not going to build all of this. All of this back in three days, that's impossible. And besides that, who has the ability to tear all of this down? If they were thinking physical and really wanted to know, there were a lot more questions to ask, but they were blinded by selfish pride. 
we always have to make note of that. Selfish pride is so blinding, so blinding. We have to check our hearts all the time to make sure we do not let that creep into our lives, our homes, or in the church. Amen. Flee from that. Doesn't matter how young or old you are, we have to fight against selfish pride. We don't want to have these blind spots in our lives ever. Now, we could call out the Pharisees for not digging deeper, but as we can see, the disciples didn't get it till three years later. So <laughs> they all was missing it that day. No one understood what a huge statement Jesus had just made. That statement, that's one that should have rocked the entire community. The temple he had spoken of was his body. No one understood the magnitude of that statement back then. We could only put it together you know, after Jesus was raised from the dead, that's when the disciples recalled what he had said. It was only then that they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. Jesus rising from the dead, the resurrection of Christ brings clarity to the words that Jesus spoke on that, on that day. It brings clarity to God's plan of salvation. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the raising of that temple, enables man to see that Jesus is the one. He is the one that has fulfilled the promises of God. Jesus, as John says, is the Lamb of God. He is the one. After the resurrection, the disciples got it. They understood it. Jesus is the true temple. It makes sense now. It all makes sense now if we go back to the garden and we see God's presence there. And as we see the true temple, what do we see? God's presence. God's presence. Again, what was the purpose of going to the temple? The answer is, it was the place for man to go and meet God. It was a place that we see God's presence among men. His presence was in the garden. His presence was with the Israelites as they left Egypt. His presence was in the tabernacle in the wilderness. His presence was in the temple. And God's presence has been among men throughout history. And his presence is with us today because we are the temples of God. So on that day back then, when everyone heard Jesus say, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days, they were thinking a physical temple, but Jesus was speaking of his body, the true, the true temple. What a statement. Jesus was prophesying that the Jews would put him to death, and he was prophesying, prophesying that he would rise from the grave. You know what the Jews thought was impossible did happen. That physical temple was tore down in 70 AD. Not one stone left upon the other. So what's the significance? What's the significance of that early temple being torn down, torn down? Well, first of all, we should ask questions again. People should be asking, where do we go to meet with God? Where is God's presence? The temple is gone. There's no longer a physical place to go to meet with God. There's no longer a tabernacle, a temple. The people can no longer go to a building and know that the presence of God is there. He's gone. The curtain has been torn. There, are, there is no holy of holies anymore on this earth. So, we, so if we no longer can go to the tabernacle or to the temple or any other building to be in the presence of God, where does man go? 
and you give me your best Sunday school answer is Jesus. Amen. That's right. We now go to Jesus, the true temple of God. If anybody wants to meet God, you go to Jesus. He's the true temple. He is the fulfillment of the temple. If you want to be in the presence of God, you go to Jesus. Amen. That's where we will see the glory of God. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That was God's plan from the beginning. Jesus, the son of God, is the true temple, and access to God is wide open to all who will come. Wide open now. All of you are weak and heavy laden. Come to Jesus. He will give you rest. You will see his glory. Come to Jesus and worship God in spirit and in truth. That is why there is no longer a physical temple in Jerusalem. We now worship God in spirit and in truth. That truth takes us to John chapter 4. We see this wonderful encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. If you remember, this lady had a problem with relationships. She had five husbands now living with another. And when she, was, when, when she spoke with Jesus, he exposed her problem. <coughs> and her response was, you must be a prophet. A person knows when they're in the presence of truth, don't they? Jesus said, your life is a wreck. It is in moral shambles. She said, you must be a prophet. <laughs> But here's what she said to him. He exposed all that. And what did she do? She immediately turned to the spiritual things. This woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to go. In other words, she's asking Jesus, where is the best place to go worship God? Her sin got exposed, and she says, I want to go worship God. Where's the best place to go? And Jesus' response is, out of this world. Jesus said to her, woman, remember, guys, you're not Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Who says this? Who says these kind of things? The people have been going to the tabernacle or the temple to worship the Father for thousands of years. And now Jesus says, a day is coming when you will not go to Jerusalem. You will not go to the temple to worship the Father. The day is here now. Listen, anyone who would make a statement like that would be considered not quite right in the head. They, they would be looked at, as a pastor once said, He's someone who's outside his mind. <laughs> this statement is just like the one he made in the temple. You know, what was their response? You know, the Jews scoffed at him. It's like 45 years to build this, you know. You're going to brace it in three. They're mocking him. They're looking at him like he's a fool. If they had heard Jesus tell the Samaritan woman, uh, that there on that day, that the day was coming where the people would not even go to Jerusalem to worship the Father, they, they would have said, this guy needs to be locked up or maybe hung on a cross. The temple is where the presence of God is, they would say. Nowhere else. This guy's lost it. 
who would ever listen to him, much less become a follower of his. Jesus continues with the lady at the well. He says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for the salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. For the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you know what? You Samaritans, you have enthusiasm without knowledge. You worship what you don't know. Great worship, but you need knowledge. He says, when I look at the Jews, they have plenty of knowledge, but lacking enthusiasm. We're loaded with knowledge. They knew the scriptures. They knew the word. But their worship of the Father was just off. It was not from the heart. It was not true worship. So think about that. Think about Jesus when he cleansed the temple and what he told his Samaritan lady. He said, the hour is coming. The hour is coming and now here, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Here's what he's saying. The presence of God is not going to be in that temple. It will be in the hearts of his people. And we're all witness to that, witnesses to that truth that Jesus spoke that day. Amen. Jesus is in the heart of the people. It's no longer at the temple. It's no, it's no longer in a building that man will go to meet God. It is in the hearts of his people. Think about that for a moment. Let that sink in because I believe here in America, we kind of get caught up in material things. You know, the, the people of God can sometimes get caught up in the, in the building thinking that, that the building is where the church is or that we go to that building to meet God. As we can see in our text today, it's not about the building. The building is just a place where the church meets. The building we are in is not the church. We, the church, are in here just to be protected from getting my head sunburned or whatever from the rain. That's the only reason we're in here. When we leave this church today, the church is no longer here. It's just an empty building. When we leave, the church is going out to proclaim what we have learned in this building. Amen? We gather to worship God. We gather here to glorify God. And we glorify God by proclaiming his word in this building. When God redeems people, come, when God's redeemed people come together to worship God, when God's redeemed children gather and proclaim the living word of God, that is church no matter where it is. I was talking with Kenny from Kenya. He said that churches under any shade tree they could find, they would gather and open the word. What a beautiful church. What a beautiful church. Some of you may not know this, but Living Hope in the early days, we met in the back of warehouses. We, we were in a warehouse. It was cheap. It worked out. It was, it was a true blessing. A lot of memories there. But I had a person ask me one time, said, how can you do church in the back of a warehouse? You don't even have stained glass. And I said, I'm so glad you asked. I was able to share that God's people are the temple of God. 
I shared 1 Corinthians 6.19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? The presence of God is still in the temple. The Holy Spirit is in the hearts of God's people. That's the temple. The church is a gathering of those whom God has redeemed in Jesus. And it happened just like Jesus said. God now meets with his people, not in places, but in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true temple. We are gathering together unto him. Write this verse in your margins. Revelations 21, 22. John says this. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Jesus is the true temple. So do you see the importance of the temple? Can, can, can you now see why Jesus had righteous anger when he saw what was going on inside that temple? We need to get this picture of what was happening there in the courtyards in our mind. We need, to, we need to look out and see what Jesus saw that day when he walked in. This was to be a place of worship. The temple was a place where humanity could come to worship the one true living God. A place that encompassed the holy of holies. A place where the presence of God rested. A place that gave a complete picture of the penalty of sin and the salvation that was available a place of awe because everyone, everyone knew that God himself had given the blueprints to man on how to build it. So get that picture the best we can of the beauty, of the sacredness, of the holiness of this place. How it would humble anyone who set foot in it. How it should be a somber place, a unique place. A place that would make a man examine his heart and contemplate the meaning of life and ask himself, what is the purpose of man? Think about walking into that majestic temple. Put yourself in that courtyard, in the Gentile courtyard, the one that anyone in the world would be welcome to come and worship God, a place that should be full of broken people seeking God, but instead of being a place full of souls seeking God, you step inside that courtyard and your foot slips a little. Because you just put your sandal on a pile of animal dung. Instead of a place full of humanity, praising God Almighty, it was full of animals, extortioners, money changers, people fighting and bickering over a dollar, no reverence for God. No room for the Gentiles to come in. No room in the temple for you folks who are seeking God because we have a business to run. All of this was going on without any concern that behind that curtain was the Holy of Holies. Just a little ways away, behind that curtain was where the presence of God rested. The smell, the fighting, the stealing was all done in God's house. Now we see why the true temple had righteous anger when he saw what had happened to his father's house. Can you get that picture in your mind now? Do you understand what the presence of God means? Praise the Lord that Jesus had done, has done something about it. 
praise Jesus that we no longer have to go to Jerusalem to meet God. So when someone says, where can I, where can I go to meet God? The, the answer is right where you're at right now. You don't have to be in a certain place. So the question is not, where can I go to meet God? The real question one must ask is, how can I meet the one true living God? That's the question we have to ask. And here's the answer. Answer the call. Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Come to Jesus, he says. Jesus says, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Answer the call. Make the call. Do what you need to do to come to Jesus. That's how you can meet the true temple. That's how you can be in the presence of Jesus. John writes in 2031. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. You know, when John writes down the miracles that Jesus did, know that they are signs pointing to the reality of who Jesus is. And as we've seen today, all that Jesus does in establishing his power over the affairs of time and his people was pointing forward eventually to a new heaven and a new earth that is to come. The kingdom is present because the king is present. Jesus may not look much like a king hanging on a cross, but actually that's his moment of greatest victory. And when he rose out of the tomb, the resurrection proclaims him not simply as the son of David, but also as the son of God. God has made himself known to us in the person of Jesus. The Old Testament prophecies find their fulfillment in Jesus, in this present king who may be known by all who call upon his name. Jesus is the king of kings, right? What do kings do? They rule and they reign. Jesus reigns in the heart of those who trust him. So each of us have to examine our own hearts and ask this question. Is Jesus Christ my king? Does he reign and rule in my heart? Well, if he does, well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But if not, why not today? Make today the day that you bow your knee to the Lord Jesus. Confess that he is the one who he claimed to be. Admit that he is the very Savior that you so desperately need. And ask him to come and be your king and reign in your heart. Amen.